Welcome to a Monday edition of the Baseball Insiders. I'm Adam Weiner, alongside Fanside, it's MLB Insider Robert Murray. And trade season is upon us, kind of, Robert. Uh, we had a we had a fairly seismic move on Friday that seemed to be foretold a long time ago and finally went down. Uh, but perhaps more importantly, your Philadelphia Eagles beat my New York Giants in the divisional round, the NFC playoffs on Saturday. And so I am dressed like you. Welcome to the wow, show. What a guy. Go birds, baby. It, uh, it's a good look on you. It's uh, something we should have more often on the show or in, even in just in general. It's one of the NFL's fiercest logos. It does look good. Uh, I can't, I will never look you in the eyes and tell you like, Hey, it doesn't look good. No, it looks great. Um, the outfit was purchased by my mother-in-law this Christmas. Uh, it's a great gift. Uh, maybe not a gift I'm going to use that often because I do love the team that is a direct rival of this team. But that said, I'll wear it when I lose a bet. I'll wear it when my team loses an important playoff game, which uh, if you believe in uh, the New York Giants recent history, they love to lose important playoff games. So you might see it more often than you uh, you thought you might. Robert, how uh, how was your experience watching the game? Where were you for uh, for that absolute slaughter? Yeah, I was watching it in my apartment. I just kept it low key. It's like I usually like to be alone during Eagles games just because like I, I'm a pretty mild mannered guy. But during Eagles games, I just get super animated. Um, and it was a pretty calm watching experience. Just being able to watch that a 38 to seven beat down. Like I, I was respectful. I didn't send you any texts during before or even after the game. It's like I don't want to rub it in. Just like want to be a respectful guy. So. You were you were completely respectful. I will I wouldn't have held it against you if you were obnoxious though, considering how uh, not close that was. I was I was at uh, a bar watching with my wife, and when they were down, I think it was when they were down fourteen nothing, and Daniel Jones threw a pick on whatever I, that drive was obviously not going to be anything anyway because who cares? Mm -hmm. um, but when it looked like they were about to be down twenty one nothing, I was like, all right, this is great. Oh, this is fantastic. Like throwing out sarcastic things and she was like you said you didn't care and i was like i mean i don't care but i don't want to get absolutely slaughtered and apparently uh i found my breaking point but it's all good i'm wearing the i'm wearing the pullover uh and we're we're talking baseball and uh we're gonna empty your notebook in a little bit because we're running low on we're running low on targets uh we're uh, not too many names still floating out of the market and i want to get your feelings and thoughts on who might be headed where uh what the boston red sox might be doing uh, from here on out after extending Rafael Devers and getting booed at their winter weekend. But before we get into the future, let's talk a little bit about the recent past. Pablo Lopez and Marlins number five prospect, another shortstop, Jose Salas, a 19-year-old who's already 13th ranked in Minnesota. So that tells you a little bit about the relative uh, strength of those two farm systems. Uh, and a third prospect, well, Pablo Lopez and two prospects, Go to Minnesota for Luisa Rise. The Twins obviously sold a rise pretty high, got a bonus top prospect out of it, but it's a batting champ for a starter who I think is still more potential than results. Uh, are we are we totally sure the Twins got better today? You know, I, I thought I, I like the Pablo Lopez trade for them. I thought it made a whole lot of sense because they they have a lot of players, they have three pitchers in particular who are on expiring contracts and they needed a young pitcher with upside who was controllable. And that's exactly Lopez. And they viewed him as a guy that had the upside to be like that. 
Um, it's a player they've coveted for years and they sold high on Luis Arise, who obviously is the batting champion. Very, 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 very good player, um, but did not have a true defensive position. And they also, the Minnesota twins, they had concerns about how his leg would hold up over time. Um, I know that's something that Dan Hayes of the athletic wrote. Um, and that's something I've heard as well. Um, but we'll see who's right when it comes to Arise. but he's a really talented player. And the Marlins, they wanted to deal from their pitching surplus to upgrade their lineup. Um, and after they signed Johnny Cueto, they were able to move a player like Lopez. And they got interest in some of their other starting pitchers. But um, Lopez always seemed like the most likely candidate to go, even since last trade deadline. And ultimately, they pulled the trigger. I thought it was a little bit um, – I thought it was interesting that the Marlins had to include one of their top prospects in the deal. Because I thought Lopez for a rise – was relatively fair just as like an even trade, but um, ultimately they had to part with more. I know some people were kind of, I don't know, they weren't huge fans of parting with the prospects, but overall I think it was a good baseball trade. I think it made sense for both teams. Um, I, I like the deal for both sides. Um, and I know there's been rumors about the Marlins doing more after this and um, we can get into that in a little bit. Should I just drop it now? Yeah, go go forth and prosper, King. All right, wow, my guy. So there's been reports about the Marlins being close with Yuli Gurriel. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a report a couple days ago that they were closing in on it. At, at that moment, nothing was close. Um, and I don't know where it's at today, um, but at that point, it was not close. There's other teams that are in the mix. Uh, the Twins are one of them. Um, I believe there's a couple other teams in the mix as well, but um, nothing close at this time, but, um, they have a lot of infielders going on in, or they have a lot of infielders in Miami right now. They have a boatload of them. And I remember immediately after they made that trade for Arise, I had texts and calls from different people in baseball asking, what the heck are they going to do here? Do you trade a guy like Joey Wendell, who has been, or who has been linked uh, to the Red Sox? Do you trade a guy like John Birdie? who is a player that I know a bunch of teams like. Um, I mean, they moved Jazz Chisholm to, to center field, so they at least cleared up something there. But if you had Yuli Gurriel, then you have a first base overload with Garrett Cooper. I don't know. It's it's a really interesting strategy they, that, they, or that they got going on there. Um, but I guess give credit to the Marlins because they're actually, you know, spending. Yeah, they are. And I think we could finally rule out Glaber Torres to the Marlins. I think. <laughs> I'm thinking you might be right. Yeah. yeah I, I suspect I, it's, you know, that's that little dust that's floating in the air. I'm like, ah, I think I can finally see through it. Yeah. I don't know. But it's, it's Gene Segura and Luis Arise and maybe Yuli Gurriel and Jazz Chisholm, who apparently took himself and moved himself to center field because he saw this getting a little kooky. Um, certainly a lot of infielders, uh, a lot of uh, mid tier power bats. Um, and always a lot of pitching like the, you're right. They sold Lopez because they had to sell somebody, but there's still a lot of pitching there. There's still, mm-hmm. you know, Cabrera and, and Rogers who su- went from rookie of the year candidate to wild card. And, you know, we've heard about uh, a lot of these other names moving. Eliezer Hernandez did finally move, right? Like he's, he's actually gone. Um, unless I'm, yeah, he's on the New York Mets now. Yeah. <laughs> get by the Mets. Um, but there's still a, there's still a pitching glut. There's, there's a little surplus there. And the Marlins farm system is still relatively thin and they thinned it out more by trading Salas in, in that Lopez deal. 
Um, do, you, do you foresee them maybe selling more assets to try to beef up that farm system, or are they going to roll into the year with this overload? I mean, clearly they don't care what we think. Like We were talking about a pitching overload for weeks, then they go out there and sign Johnny Cueto. So it's clearly they're not listening to crickets chirping, being like, ooh, they're right. We got to get rid of some pitchers. Uh, but do you foresee uh, maybe a couple more trades there rather than just a Guriel potential signing? You know, I've been trying to get a good answer on that. And the honest answer is, I don't know. Um, I think they would be open to um, open to anything. Um, like they're not going to hang up on somebody if they call, like that's what any good team does. Um, but I wonder, cause I don't think you'd be able to get much for a guy like John birdie. Um, I think that'd probably be like one or two like flyer prospects. Like I know one team that likes birdies, the brewers, um, but I don't, there's no real clear fit there. Cause they're another team that's pretty loaded with infielders, but um yeah, I don't, I mean, maybe Wendell for the Red Sox. I mean, I, I mentioned that before, like the Red Sox, they have had, they've continued to have trade conversations uh, looking for an infielder. I can provide more insight or more insight on that later, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's no real clear option here. I mean, but they wanted Wendell to start before uh, the trade for arise. So I've, I don't know. It's a, it's a really weird situation there. It's like, it's a good thing to have a lot of talented players. Um, and it's now up to skip Schumacher to make all those puzzle pieces fit here. Yeah. I almost forgot their manager is someone who I think is older than me, but not by that much. No, I think oh. he's probably eight or nine years older than me, but it's one of the more jarring MLB managers guy we watched growing up. <laughs> Utility yeah, me too. Yeah. And like yeah. my favorite player watching or growing up was Craig Council. Mm -hmm. And my first manager I ever covered on a beat was Craig Council. And it's like, hey, dude, I impersonated you in the batter's box. And now here I am talking to you and covering you on a daily basis. And he's like, and Council's a great dude. I'm a, I'm a big Craig Council guy. Nice. Very nice. Very nice fellow. I, would, I mean, he comes off great in, in these interviews. Like, I can't imagine him. It would, it would shock me if there was like a, a secret private persona of Craig Council where he's just a complete you know, piece of garbage. <laughs> no, no, it's, I've got nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, he's, he's good people. Beautiful. Well, perhaps he'll be managing John birdie in a little bit. If he's got a couple flyer prospects to get rid of. What about the twins here? Uh, where do you ultimately rank them in the AL central now that they've gotten this done? I know you think it's kind of a win-win. So would, would insinuate to me that you're ready to move them up the, the central rankings, but it's also funny that you said they were concerned about Arise's leg when they just finished off a $200 million deal with a guy whose leg was providing concerns to just about everybody else except for the Minnesota Twins uh, yeah. and Carlos Correa. But uh, where do you rank them now, and, and how do you think they finish their offseason? I feel like there, there are maybe a couple more bats, unless they believe in Trevor Larnuck and, and the kids. I don't know how you see the Twins polishing off this offseason. Yeah, you can't doubt the kids. I mean, you gotta, I a lot of teams got some kids. We believe it. Yeah, they're well, darn, darn right. But yeah, it's um, the the Twins. I still think of them as a prime contender for that division. I think Cleveland, obviously, last year they earned the respect of every team is because they far exceeded expectations there. Um, although I'm curious to see how their offense does um, as well. But like in terms of the Twins. I don't think they're done quite yet. I still think they are a prime candidate now to move one of those starting pitchers who are an expiring contract. Um, I still think Sonny Gray makes a whole lot of sense as a trade candidate here. That's something that I think rival teams should and probably already have begun to explore. 
um, like a team like the Los Angeles Angels, I mean, they could, they always needed a starting pitcher. I think he would make sense. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, that's not like something I'm hearing. I, I should probably clarify that, but I think that makes a whole lot of sense on paper. Um, but I, I think that's their first move that they should do. And then the second move that the twins should make is adding another bat, whether it's a Guriel, um, exploring the trade market even further. The only issue right now is that the options on the market are relatively thin. Um, like this free agent class is pretty thinned out, so they're going to have to get creative, but that's something that Derek Falvey and that front office have really thrived at is being creative, whether it's contract structures, exploring markets. Um, like I wouldn't put anything past them. I don't think they're going to be able to spend too big, but um, I'll, I'll give them a whole lot of credit because they've, they've exceeded my expectations for this offseason because never in a million years did I think they would end this offseason with Carlos Correa and Pablo Lopez. Yeah, we gave the twins their flowers on the Correa show and and we'll we'll keep doing it. That it was a brilliant job sticking with that business all the way to the end when uh not to talk about Giants Eagles, but Giants are down 21 and they're driving and they're stuck around midfield in the fourth quarter. What do they do? They punt. Uh and a lot of people said, oh you're you know, you're not going to win anyway. What, who cares? But it's a cowardly punt. And, and if the Twins had walked away, the Twins had walked away from the Carlos Correa conversation, that would have been a cowardly punt because clearly it wasn't done in San Francisco. It wasn't done in New York. They stuck to it longer than anybody thought. And then they go ahead and get themselves Pablo Lopez too. Yeah, no, exactly. And like their persistence and their continued conversations with Scott Boris was a huge thing in them getting that deal done with Boris and with Correa. And yeah, I'll all the credit in the world to them. Um, I don't know how many other front offices would have done that, but they did. And it ultimately resulted in uh, Correa sticking to Minnesota. We will move on to the Red Sox in a second uh, and further empty the notebook, but I want to get a couple of these in the chat up. Uh, hockey legend, Yarmir Yager, is asking us about the White Sox Benintendi signing and the potential ramifications to Eloy to DH. Eloy, you know, maybe he gets some some time in right. Um, and we haven't talked a lot of White Sox in a while. Uh, so I'm wondering if um, if you've thought any further about the long-term ramifications of the Benintendi deal and if anybody else moves around as a result of that. Or maybe Benintendi becomes a chess piece. Yeah, I, I really – I thought at first the Benintendi signing, that was – too rich for my blood. Um, and I know that was how some other people in baseball thought of it too, was the five years was ultimately what got Benintendi to the White Sox. Um, but it, it's a move that I think added some much needed life into that fan base because there was a lot of just, there was a lot of people that were down about the organization is obviously they have all that young talent, but they didn't really supplement it properly. Um, and ultimately they suffered. And it's a player that, their new manager is very familiar with in Kansas city. So like, there's not much of a learning curve there at all. It's like, they know exactly what they're getting. Um, and possibly moving Eloy Jimenez into a prominent DH role is a really good thing for them because as you know, like he's really struggled staying healthy throughout his career. Like it's whether it's crashing into the outfield or, um, or just missing significant time with injuries. Um, it's, it's been, it's limited what they've been able to do on the field. Um, and having him healthy for possibly 130 plus games, which is, I mean, you can, it's a better bet with him as a DH, um, just because you're not putting him in the field, but 
having him healthy for that amount of games significantly increases their upside for, throughout that entire team. So um, I think it's a good thing. Um, I think Andrew Vaughn finally playing in his natural position is going to be a good thing for them too. Um, I also want to wish uh, Liam Hendricks uh, all the best too. Um, I'm, I have continued to send good vibes to him. Um, but I, I'm, I'm curious to see what else the White Sox do this offseason. Um, but I will say, I think Mike Clevenger there, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll be able to turn that into a, a nice contract year and then end up, end up making banking for agency. And he's a guy who certainly deserves uh, to get a shot at making bank. He's gone through a lot these last couple of years. Uh, and he has not dampened the personality. And, and in terms of not dampening the personality, that goes for Liam Hendricks, too. I will echo those well wishes. All of, all of the baseball world is, is watching you, and, and we got our eyes on your recovery. There's a great piece in The Athletic about how much he's done uh, for others and, and the people who he's done charity for coming back to wish him well now that he is fighting. Uh, and we certainly second, third, and, and fourth that. Uh, get well soon. Liam Hendricks. Um, let, let's talk about the Bo Sox a little bit uh, because you and I agreed uh, loser of the offseason. Uh, we put him on that loser. <laughs> put him on that losers list last time we talked. Uh, but they're less of a loser now than they used to be. I would say they got the Devers deal done. Didn't take them off our loser list, but it just it moved them up a little bit closer to neutral. Uh, they still let Bogarts walk. Still lost JD. Still let Nathan Avaldi go. Corey Kluber in the rotation. Uh, you know, people have their opinions. I have mine. Um, all of this has turned into the Red Sox fan base, which won a franchise record 108 games in the World Series four years ago. That was October 2018. So pre-2019 season, they were still basking in the glow of that season. It has somehow turned them into raging New York Knicks fan monsters in just four years. Haim uh, Bloom's. Uh, whatever he's done to, to dismantle this roster. They were screaming at him at the winter weekend. Uh, he was trying to get some words in to justify the bets deal saying, you know, you guys know where we were three years ago. And they were booing and they were screaming Dave Dombrowski at him. They wouldn't let him talk. And, and Jared Carabas got up there and started asking about Bogarts and, and whether they got lied to about it, you know, how much of a priority he was. Uh, are you that down on the Red Sox? Like, do you think they should be in angry fans screaming territory right now? Um, Cause it does feel like they maybe have some more tricks up their sleeve. Uh, and they did just sign Adam Duvall too, who was one of your guys who you were uh, trying to send to the Yankees a, a couple weeks ago. And, and whenever somebody says, you know, he'd be a good fit for the Yankees, this guy. And then that guy goes to the Red Sox. I'm automatically like, ah, oh, that feels a little gross. Uh, so where, where do you stand today? on uh, screaming Red Sox fans and the Red Sox offseason? I think Red Sox fans ever have every right to be pissed off. Um, I know if I was a Red Sox fan, I would not be happy right now. I mean, you lose Mookie bets and you basically get nothing in return. I mean, Alex Verdugo, but they designated Jeter Downs for assignment. Um, and then you lose Xander Bogarts for nothing uh, when you promise your fans that resigning him is your top priority. And, I mean, to be fair – the Padres, they offered Bogarts an absurd contract. Like there, I don't think there was any other team that's prepared to come close to what they ended up signing him for. Um, but losing those guys and losing Eovaldi, I don't know what the market is for Michael Walker quite yet. But let's let's pretend that he's gone. Um, they've lost some other pieces in there too. Um, there, but there's 
the only glimmer, I mean, I shouldn't say the only, that's too, that's too excessive here, but being able to extend Rafael Devers for as long as they did, that at least gives them a piece to build around. That gives them a superstar, and that's a huge step because um, he doesn't have to look over his shoulder and wonder what exactly his future is going to look like. He knows exactly where he's going to be. Um, but it's it's supplementing that roster with talent um, th- like around him, and Trevor Story is not going to be there. They've continued to look for shortstops. Like, I know they've poked around at a lot of different options. Like, I know there's been reports about Joey Wendell um, with the Marlins. Like, Alberto Mondesi is one that they've also checked in on, too. Um, but I don't know of anything close there. But the Red Sox, to me, they can't go into they can't go into the season with the roster as is. Like, they have too many holes, whether it's in the middle infield or in the, or in the rotation. Um, so Heimbloom's got his work cut out for him. Curious to see what he does. Um, but this has not been a good offseason for the Boston Red Sox one bit. And I think the solace you can take is that it probably isn't done. Like, we didn't think they were going to get Devers done until all of a sudden there he was and there he was for 11 more years. Uh, you know, we knew there was an outfield vacancy, but maybe they were going to go into the season with Kike out there and some, you know, some minor leaguers. And then, oh, there's Adam Duvall. So, uh, you know, Jacob Bradley has a question here on, on A.J. Preller, potentially looking at extending these these Padres free agents. But I, I sort of have a feeling that A.J. Preller might be someone who the Boston Red Sox give a call to in the next couple of weeks, too, to talk Hassan Kim, uh, yep. to talk through these potential, like, you know, that that's a shortstop solution that, that makes some sense to me. Um, do you see that as, as something that Boston might pursue, or um, is it sort of going to be the Wendell Mondesi and we cross our fingers thing. You know, I, I wouldn't rule anything out for the Red Sox. And this is just opinion here. This isn't like sourced info or anything. I mean, the, the Padres, if they want to go on the upper end here, like Hassan Kim certainly makes plenty of sense. If I was a team and I was, if I was an opposing team, I would call the Padres and I would ask what it takes to acquire Jake Cronenworth. I am a huge, huge, huge Jake Cronenworth fan. Um, I don't think the Padres would give him up under, I, well, I shouldn't say he's untouchable, but um, well, at least I wouldn't, I don't know, but I, I, I would not trade Jake Cronenworth if I was a Padres, but if I was another team, I would certainly check in and see what it would take. Um, but I like the, uh, as far as the Red Sox are concerned, I, I don't know of any other names that they've checked in on. That's not because like they're only checking in on those players, but that's just what I've heard. Um, so we'll, we'll see what they have to do. I would imagine Heim Bloom will like uncover every stone here or whatever, whatever that saying is. I can't remember what exactly. What yeah. I'm trying to think, I was trying to think, but I also like turn over, turn yeah, over. Turnover, that's better than uncover. I mean, that's yeah. That, you turn that's over I, a new leaf though. Do you turn over a rock? Like, I, I don't know. I'm actually lost too. And leave maybe, no stone unturned. There we go. Leave no stone. I was like, maybe that's fitting for the Red Sox off season that, we both are like, they have to go turn over some more rocks. And the comments are like, that's not the phrase. That's not the phrase. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's turn over some more rocks. Um, but yes, they will, they will leave no stone unturned. There we go. Yeah, that's that's ultimately what I think they're going to end up doing, but is leaving no stone unturned. Let's see if we got it this time. There and it then, is. Seamless edit point. Just Sean cut the middle part out and put it right there. Bingo. Yeah, th- thank you, Sean, in advance. That, by the way, that's our lovely producer, Sean Daly, who is also a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan. Go Birds. Um, yeah, this is an Eagles pod. 
Oh, it really is. Yeah, wow. Hey, we got Jose Perez in there. Go Phillies. We'll, we'll take that as a go birds. So thank you, Jose. Feeling good. And, and the stones will continue to be uh, turned over. Speaking of uh, overturning some, some potentially questionable stones, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up a role Chapman, who I feel like we've talked about in the past. And every time we talk about him, I go, who, who's, who's going to sign this man? Like who is going to let this man's MLB career continue after what he did in, in, I mean, I mean, you, you know, the, the man's history is beyond checkered, but the performance didn't match any of that history last season. The walk rate was absurd. Uh, he got an infected tattoo in the middle of the season, left the Yankees, reportedly gave them an ultimatum about a postseason roster spot. And when they wouldn't guarantee him one, he bolted and went to Miami. So I was of the opinion, like, let's just end this here. We don't need to do the oldest Chapman thing anymore. But somehow the Kansas City Royals have decided to give him another chance. Uh, it's a cheap deal. And if you think you're getting a oldest Chapman upside and you're a team like the Royals, who's going to be in the trade market selling at the deadline, then sure, I guess you can justify it. But is this the last we see of Aroldis Chapman? Is this his last chance? And, and does he make it to the end of the year in Kansas City? You know, it's, it's a really good question. And we're going to have to be in wait and see mode on how this one plays out. Ultimately, because Chapman is obviously a very talented pitcher. And getting him for three-plus million um, is a strong signing on paper. Um, and he's got the upside to far exceed that. Um, but it's that exactly what you just described with him, with the ultimatum that he gave the Yankees and the other off the field issues that he comes with, like there's baggage. Um, and that it, it was not, how do I want to describe this? It, it limited the playing field for the number of suitors that were going to be in on Chapman in despite how talented he was like, yeah, you're going to have concerns about, about how he's going to end up fitting into your locker room. Um, let's say he answers those questions and he ends up um, changing that reputation that he has in Kansas City and he pitches really well. Then he could end up being a really highly desired trade candidate. And that's when it could become interesting. But also if he flames out and he really struggles, um, it's not going to take Kansas City that much and it's not going to take him to eat that much of a deal to designate him for assignment. Um, so I, I like the value play. Um, I think for Kansas City, there's there's no risk in it, but um, it's a really high risk. It's well, it's a high reward, like low risk kind of a deal, in my opinion. I, I'm curious, what do you think of it, Adam? Yeah, I think look, if you're going to sign a Rolls Chapman, you're going to do it at a value like this, and and that's why I was so concerned for the months of silence because I was like, if no rebuilding team is going to do this, then the, the Yankees, even after that public battle, very well might talk themselves into $3.5 million worth of a role to Chapman for one year. I mean, you are losing him in the bullpen. You're going to have to replace him. The, the Yankees lost Chad Green, who still unsigned as he comes back from Tommy John, but they lost Green, Chapman, and Britton. Uh, and they, they signed Tommy Canely, and they're hopeful they're going to get Ron Marinaccio for a full season, and they didn't have him in the playoff bullpen. And that's great, but the longer Chapman's free agency lasts, the longer you look towards his previous employer, one that would be losing him if they, you know, they, they it would create a hole if they lost him. They know him better than anybody else. 
And in 2015, 16, when he was coming off of a domestic violence suspension, they were the ones who were willing to take that chance on him. And they were also the ones who profited off a good half season of Chapman, sending him to the Cubs, getting him his World Series ring, and then bringing him back. So no team has been more intrinsically connected than the Yankees with Chapman because not only did they take a chance on him once, they took full advantage of the fruits of his labor and then took a chance on him again. And then, so it, it was only really the explosion at the end of his tenure that that would make you think they were willing to break the relationship once and for all. So the longer it lasted, the more I was like, I mean, how low is his value going to go? 2.53? Like, Yankees have just about that much wiggle room under the Steve Cohen tax. You feel You start to worry they might do it. Now that he's on the Royals, it's pretty clear that the goal here is do as much as you can with him up until the deadline and then flip him to 2023's version of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and, and I don't know what facilities the Royals have. I don't know, you know, what their pitching coaches are capable of and bringing him back to, to reality and harnessing that fastball. But the stuff is always there. Uh, there was even a time, it feels like a million years ago, but it was early 2021 when Chapman developed the splitter. And everybody was like, uh-oh, here's a new pitch from the pitching, you know, uh, from the man who brought you the 105-mile-an-hour fastball. Now we have this freak splitter um, that only lasted about a month before he got hurt and the roller coaster went straight down and hasn't gone back up yet. Uh, I, I think mostly, I, I think the, the value is fair. It's a fair deal. Um, I was sort of hoping the clock would run out on Chapman's career, um, but clearly that hope was probably for naught. Yeah, and like, and on that, like, would you say it's fair to say that uh, Chapman quit on the Yankees? I think it's totally fair. Um, yeah. And I think That's the craziest fair. the craziest thing is that there was a roster spot available for him if he'd waited another 36 hours. Because Scott F. Ross had Tommy John and yeah. Marinaccio was too hurt to continue. So they would have probably used a playoff roster spot on him if he hadn't thrown a tantrum. Yeah, and that's ultimately why I didn't think there was any chance that the Yankees would re-sign him is giving up on the team in during the playoffs. Um, how do you explain that bringing him back and putting him into that clubhouse to your other players in that locker room? Like, I don't think you can. So I don't think there was ever any scenario um, where he was going to return to New York. Um, yeah. yeah, that certainly makes more sense. And you look at the fabric of that clubhouse. Uh, they did not pivot, right? They brought Anthony Rizzo back. They, they brought Aaron Judge back in the long term. Uh, so it's not like they decided, like, we're going to bring in a seven, eight, nine new guys, and then maybe your oldest Chapman fits in there. They said, we like what we have. We like the continuity. And this guy didn't. So he's gone. Yep. No, exactly. And and the one thing on the, with the Yankees' side, too, is they've been really good at developing relievers and getting, him, getting, or getting them out of seemingly nowhere. Um, I also – He's not going to contribute this year because he had Tommy John, but Scott Efros, huge fan of him. Getting him last year from the Cubs, I thought that was a really under-the-radar move. Um, so when he returns next year, not this year, but next year, um, I think he could end up having a big impact for them. But um, I'm optimistic, even though that the Yankees seemingly do have some holes in that bullpen, um, I think they're going to be able to um, put together a pretty solid – um, and reliable bullpen. Um, the only, I don't know if this is like a, a, a legitimate concern or if this is me just overthinking it, but I also wonder is the Yankees' offense in a spot where they can possibly regress next year? Because obviously they relied a lot on 
Aaron Judge. And like Judge is still going to be a really good player, but I don't know if we'll be able to put up the numbers that he did last year. Um, I wondered if they could add another corner outfielder or something along those lines or even another bat where so they can, I don't know, so they have more options offensively um, and not just solely rely on, on Judge. I don't know because you you follow the Yankees closer than I do. Is that like a valid concern? No, I think that's very possible. And I think all you have to do is look at Glaber Torres, who we joked earlier about him, you know, maybe being traded at last year's deadline for Pablo Lopez. Who knows how close to the finish line that was. But as soon as he remained close. on the Yankees roster, yeah, it felt close. It felt like he knew that it was close. And when he came back in August, he was not the same guy. Um, and he's someone who the mental side of the game clearly affects him. The Yankees made him play shortstop for a while. He regressed offensively. Yankees put him at second base. His bat bounced back. Uh, you know, you think you're leaving the organization. Messes with your head a little bit. You realize you got to buckle down in September. He bounced back again. So I do think the offense is in a position to regress a little bit. That's why I thought trading him was so foolish. Because it took these extenuating circumstances to mess with his head in the first place. Like just have him enter. This team's not in a position where they could sacrifice offense and to willingly sacrifice someone who is pretty good to great in April, May, June, July, September, you take that one month out did not feel worth it to me. Um, and, and I do think they're in a position to add. I don't know who that would be just because Duvall fit for me uh, a little too rich for their blood jerks and Profar fits for me. At this point, a little too rich for their blood. They, they've got three million to work with, so they're going to have to trade Aaron Hicks and/or Josh Donaldson and eat at least sixty percent of those contracts to add anybody right now. It feels like, uh, which is Oof. pretty frustrating spot to be in. And I don't know if you've heard anything about those guys, but I would imagine teams are not beating down the Yankees' door to acquire Josh Donaldson and Aaron Hicks at their current costs. No, and I wouldn't think so either. And like the. Because you'd mentioned Profar um, and uh, as a possible option, I still think a guy like David Peralta. I know the Yankees are they're pretty um, they, well, they're pretty right-handed heavy. That's right, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah. yeah, they're very right-handed heavy. And I thought maybe Peralta could fit in that regard, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm curious to see what they end up doing there. I think Peralta makes sense, although I think we're probably looking at like six or 7 million for him. So right now I wouldn't be able to afford that. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm very curious to see what direction they go in. If, if they do add another offensive batter um, or if they try to trade a guy like Donaldson or Aaron Hicks, um, I don't know. It's a fast, it's a, it's a, it's going to be tough for Brian Cashman to pull either of those off because um, honestly, or obviously Donaldson is making a lot of money and Hicks has not been, he's not lived up to that contract that he gave him a few years ago. Yeah. Cashman Houdini moves incoming. Maybe, maybe <sighs> somebody wants, maybe somebody wants Aaron Hicks or Donaldson at the deadline when they're slightly less expensive. I guess we'll see. Um, but yeah, incomplete roster, uh, not much movement left in free agency. As you mentioned earlier, uh, people are now starting to focus on, the offseason after this one. Uh, people are talking to Aaron Nola about a potential extension and what his future in Philadelphia looks like. Uh, and honestly, this this headline grabbed me more than most of the rumor mill did this week. And if you're power ranking things I was interested in, it was uh, Red Sox fans screaming in high and bloom. And then Aaron Nola talking about what his future in Philadelphia might look like. Uh, Nola said nothing has really come up 
quote about extension conversations. Philly obviously is spending a lot of money these days. That's what Dave Dombrowski does. Uh, without Aaron Nola, that team looks a lot different. Nola Wheeler is different than Wheeler question mark Ranger Suarez I mean you, you saw it last year do you think they're going to be able to scrounge up additional cash for Nola and do you think it's a priority for them it should be a priority like Aaron Nola has established himself as one of the better young pitchers in baseball and they extended him early in his career for a reason is because they had that belief in him as a potential frontline starter and last year he really showed that he can be that kind of a guy um and when he's going, there's not many pitchers who are better. Um, if I was if I was the Phillies, I would prioritize an Aaron Nola extension. Um, I think that should be right at the forefront of things now that they've gotten Trey Turner done, where they've gotten Craig Kimbrell, where they've gotten um, Matt Strom, where they've gotten um, – there's another one in there I'm forgetting. Um, oh, Taiwan Walker. How did I forget Taiwan Walker? Um, obviously they've invested quite a bit of resources in that rotation with Zach Wheeler and Walker, and they've invested in other pitchers too, but there has to be room for, for Aaron Nola. Um, I don't know exactly. Like the, the big question that I have is what kind of a contract you give him? Um, cause I don't know if there's a real template for that right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see when, or when those discussions eventually start, like where does each side go? And exactly where is the common ground? Um, that's why I am not a general manager or an agent. So thankfully for that, um, but I can I can make some phone calls and kind of see where exactly that price point can eventually be. But I'm not I have not gotten that kind of a feel quite yet. Yeah, I'll make some calls too. You're you're right. It is it's hard to pinpoint. He's mostly the durability is massive. Uh, he has not really missed a lot of time due to injury and. He's currently on this this little tiny five year fifty six point seven five million dollar extension. Still just twenty nine, but will be thirty uh, midsummer. Uh, so not a spring chicken, and in some way that durability hurts him a little bit because it's like he's built up all these miles on his arm at this point, and he hasn't really gotten to take that much of a breather. So I feel like with the deals we saw last year, where you've got guys like Walker making that upper echelon money. This feels almost Wheeler contract-ish for me, but I guess we'll we'll see what that precedent is like moving forward. No, exactly. And like, and one thing too is like, um, obviously the Phillies they have shown that they're not afraid to spend. Um, and also, like he's done one extension before. Uh, what's to say that he won't do another extension now? Should that value ultimately be fair in his eyes? Um, so I wouldn't rule anything out there. Um, like when's his contract eventually up? By the way, end of 2023. So he's only got one year left. Yeah, it's. I mean, perhaps he ends up hitting the free agent market because he sees what a lot of these guys are making right now on the free agent market, and is like, hey, it's time to get my payday. And perhaps he ends up becoming like the second version of Lance Lynn, where he's throwing like 200 plus innings every year. Um, who knows? But that durability obviously is in his favor for now, but like, will he eventually break off? Um, I think that's going to be a question that teams are going to end up having. Um, but so far he's proved that he's been able to like to be durable, which is obviously key. Yeah. He's a beast. I think you, you fit well in Philadelphia long-term, but we will, we will learn after the season so far, nothing's really come up. It might behoove the Phillies to get that done in the next couple months. I don't know. You want to, you want to get ahead of things like this. 
Um, anything else in the notebook that we have not touched upon? I know uh, the theme of this is that the free agency market is relatively slow. Uh, let's get back into the World Baseball Classic preview, or maybe more. I can't wait to talk action with you, but uh, any more names you're hearing that we haven't mentioned? I mean, Gary Sanchez in the comments. I'm curious about him, too. I, that's one where I just have no idea. I, I'm seeing a Giants buzz, but I, I can't I can't make heads or tails, Gary Sanchez. Yeah, with with the Giants, like they're not in a position where they're going to be able to add another catcher to the 40 man roster. So that could be tough unless it's not like an NRI contract. But um, Sanchez's market, from my understanding, has started to move a little bit, but it's going pretty slowly at the same time, but progressing in, in some ways. Um, I know there's been a bunch of different buzz publicly. Like um, I know Nick M is saying that he saw that the angels have interest. Um, like I saw the Rockies mentioned the other day. Um, there's going to be an abundance of teams that show interest there. Like he's, he's a talented guy. Um, so like, certainly he's going to sign somewhere, but maybe it's soon as market has moved, but I just don't think anything's close as of right now. Um, as I said, as of last check, Yuli Gurriel and the Marlins was not close. That was as of yesterday, so I don't know if anything's changed today. Um, let's see. Michael Waka is by far the best free agent on the market, in my opinion. And him being unsigned, I wonder if it's because he's asking for too much or if just the interest isn't there. That could end up being a really nice bargain play by some team um, if well, when he eventually does sign. I still think he makes all the sense in the world for the Angels. Like That is something that I think they absolutely should do. Um, maybe on a one-year contract. Um, who knows? But um, yeah, it's been, it's been, a, it's been moving pretty slowly lately on the market. Let's, I think that much I can say for sure. Another one is David Peralta, I think is a really intriguing guy. Like I think three teams that make a whole lot of sense for him. I mentioned one earlier, the Yankees. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good fit there. Um, I think the Texas Rangers, I think that's like, let's say for a one year, $6 million contract. I think that that makes total sense. Um, then the other one is the Dodgers. Dodgers tried to trade for Peralta last year. I don't know if that's public or not, um, but they had interest in him last year at the trade deadline. Didn't get it done. He ended up going to Tampa. Um, I wonder if they could end up being in again, because I think outfield is currently their number one priority. So I think that's, those are three teams to watch there. Beautiful. And uh, we will catch back up on Thursday. Hopefully the market will have moved ever so slightly by then. Just a little bit, but you just inch that market along. Just to, you know, just put that carrot in front of the market, get it to get it to, get it to bite. It'd be nice. Um, the one thing I do know will be different when we get on, on Thursday, uh, two things I know. One, I will not be wearing an Eagles pullover. Uh, I will not uh-huh. be um, well, I mean, maybe I'll do it after Sunday, but I'm not going to do it in, in Thursday's episode. I, I could do it Monday. We just don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Go Eagles, beat Brock Purdy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, drink your face. Oh, yeah. Wawa, go birds. Uh, so I know that I will be wearing a different outfit on Thursday, but I also know we're going to be having a, a, a change in the baseball hall of fame. Hopefully we are announcing hall of famers uh, tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday, live on MLB network. Uh, I hesitate to even totally ask because it doesn't feel doesn't doesn't feel guaranteed that we're going to get any names in addition to Fred McGriff already announced. Uh, if you follow the ballot tracking, I'm an insane person. I obviously do that. Uh, it looks like Scott Rowland and 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 Todd Helton are like roughly equal right now, and Helton has flipped more, and 
Roland is also over the 75% threshold, but neither is very securely over it. And you'll find someone predicting Helton, no Roland, and someone saying Roland, no Helton, and a lot of people saying neither of them. So uh, where where are you at here? Do you, do you view for, I think, who do you think anyone's getting in? And, and do you view Roland and Helton as Hall of Famers? Like this ballot is full of a bunch of names who are sort of right on that borderline of, of being considered. And some people are enthusiastic supporters of one and not the others. And, and we can't seem to come to a consensus. So uh, do you think there are Hall of Famers on this ballot? And do you think we're going to get some new names tomorrow? I think we should see Roland and Todd Helton. Um, I think we should see both of those guys in there. I it was a huge Scott Roland fan growing up, like being able to watch him um, in the infield there. I thought he was, I mean, he was obviously great um, and obviously a huge part of those Cardinals and uh, Cardinals teams there. And um, Todd Helton at first base, watching him with the Rockies, like, yeah, I I think he should be in. I also think another guy should in, that should be in is Carlos Beltran. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a huge, uh, I was a huge Carlos Beltran fan growing up too. I thought he had one of the prettiest swings in baseball, um, it, both right and left-handed. Um, and I know that Astros cheating scandals impacting his candidacy, or at least I, I would imagine it is. Yeah. Um, cause I think without that he's in, uh, Billy Wagner is another guy that I think should be in as well. I know there's, there's plenty of people in baseball who have been, long lauding his his candidacy as a hall of famer and hoping that he eventually gets in. I don't know what his voting is right now. I have not looked at Mr. Tibbs who does a tremendous job uh, tracking all this stuff. He's crazy. Wow. And Sean Daly with the note in our uh, comment section, by the way, that Todd Elton started over Peyton Manning at Tennessee briefly. That's Mm -hmm. notes. You can only get at the baseball insiders. So He's he's an athlete. He's a QB. I I think I've as as a devoted follower of Mr. Tibbs, I I think Wagner's going to miss this year, but he has flipped an absurd number of votes. He's like the biggest gainer, and he's got years left on the ballot. So I think he does get in next year, or the year after at the very worst. Um, I think Roland and Helton both have a solid chance this year. I think Carlos Beltran is getting penalized, like you said, for the cheating scandal. I think he's a clear Hall of Fame talent. I don't. I don't even really know why we're like, I know why we're having the debate, but then you also get some people pretending that it's about more than the cheating scandal. And you just kind of want to shake him and be like, no, it's not right. Like he's a hall of fame player and you're just people. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. absolutely is a hall of fame player. I, if, if I was voting this year, I would vote for Carlos Beltran. I would too. I would too. And I've had to think about it, but I, I would, I would as well. And I, I think also Helton is, is a pretty obvious hall of famer. If you take out the Colorado factor, and if you take out the Colorado factor, you're basically saying that if you're on one of the teams in Major League Baseball, you're not allowed to be in the Hall of Fame. Like MLB put the Rockies in Denver, right? So mm-hmm. they sh- they deserve the same treatment as, as the other teams. If somebody's numbers are absurdly inflated by Colorado, then of course, count them out. But Todd Helton, was he didn't ask to play for the Colorado Rockies. He's placed on that franchise, and he hit 360 during, you know, yeah, matched up with Larry Walker. He and Larry Walker, very similar guys. Walker in, I put Helton into. See, I, I I think you said that exactly best, and I'm absolutely team Todd Helton being in the Hall of Fame. That's yeah, I I, I think we're actually aligned on that. Which um, that did not happen much with Carm. So uh, shout out to uh, Mr. Adam Weinrib. So uh, cool. makes for uh, makes for agreeable television, though. Sorry that we disagree, uh, that we don't disagree. Uh, but I also think it's good. I think it's ultimately good that we don't disagree. I disagree. 
I'm vehemently at, well, we, we do not <laughs> like the same football team. That is true. That is yeah, that is true. Hey, we did beat you 38 to seven. So, um, yeah. all right. I had to get one dig in there. I'm sorry. 38, seven. What is that? Aaron Nola's low ball extension. If he signed with the Atlanta Braves, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that might be exceeding what the Braves would give him. Yeah. <laughs> Seven years, 21, and a $20 million donation to the Braves Foundation. Uh, <laughs> I love how every one of their extensions has that, like right at the note of their press or right at the bottom of their press releases. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, you want to talk opposing fans down from the conspiracies and like Met fans are like, what the hell is this Braves Foundation? And you want to be like, calm down. It's okay. It's all good. It's all good. But at the same time, what is this Braves Foundation? <laughs> I don't know. I've been, I've been wondering too. It's, it's a real thing. That much I know, but. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Cause I, I, I remember when I ended up breaking the, the Michael Harris extension that, uh, people were talking about Alex Anthopoulos, like in him being mad or like whatever. And, yeah. um, like the different like things that are said about, uh, Anthopoulos by fans, I think are hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. The guy runs a really good operation in Atlanta. I give him a whole lot of credit. Cause like, if other teams could follow that model, I absolutely think they would. It's just really hard to replicate. And he does such a good job. He's so persistent at it. Um, yeah, there's a reason why he's one of the best. And I still cannot believe Toronto let him go. Um, yeah. That is mind-blowing to me. He was, I mean, obviously he made that Jose Reyes trade. That was a that was Anthopolis, wasn't it? I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I think so. But, like, obviously that, that didn't work out. But, um Boy, he's a really good executive in what he's done in Atlanta. Um, probably the best work of the like of the entire year in 2022, in my opinion. Yeah, other teams would if they could get the secret sauce, they'd use it. There would be a Toronto Blue Jays foundation. Alas, <laughs> it, only works, it only works in the ATL. Uh, that is it for this edition of the Baseball Insiders live on YouTube on all the podcast platforms as well. If you missed the live feed, come grab the audio. Please subscribe to the channel if you're here. If you liked it, drop us a subscribe. Tell your friends. Tweet it out because uh, we are going to be here live Mondays and Thursdays, 3.30 Eastern, all off season long, ready for that regular season. They're ready for spring training. I'm sick of saying we're going to be here all off season long. I want to be here all season long with you, Robert Murray. Uh, and thanks again for bringing your talents to this episode and every episode. Well, hey, thank you for bringing your talents here, too. Um, you're the, the man, as always. I appreciate you. Uh, as I said before, the Eagles polo or the Eagles shirt is uh, is a very good look on you. So you should wear that more often. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, puts food on our tables, which is always appreciated because I, Lord knows how much food I eat. Um, so it's, as I said before, it's very appreciated. We appreciate you all. I appreciate you, Robert. And, and I see ghosts in the comments. Talk Hassan Kim next episode. Perfect. We did. Plug the plug the audio feed. We we did. We talked we did. It and we talked it on the you know if you want to watch it again on YouTube it'll be playback will be available as soon as we hop off or check the audio feed because there are Kim nuggets in there. Until next time, please keep chiming into the comments. Please let us know what you want to hear. Uh, please let us know uh, how you want me to use Robert's insight. Where you want me to direct him? Is Todd Helton the Hall of Famer? Sound off in the comments. Sound off yeah. in the reviews. Uh, and we'll know for sure for at least this year, tomorrow evening, uh, tune in for the results. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiner, Robert Murray. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining. Thanks, Robert, as always. Thank you, everybody. Go Birds, and we'll see you on Thursday.